the fire is coming your way. There is nothing that anybody can do. Welcome to Getting Hot in Here, your shortcut to understanding the facts of the climate crisis and what we can all do to make positive changes in our homes, workplaces and communities. Welcome to the second episode of Getting Hot in Here. I'm Sam and I'm here with my friends Jill and Nikki. Today's episode will be quite different from others, but we feel like we really need to have these conversations. We're incredibly passionate about sharing personal stories and the facts about the Australian 2019 bushfires. So to start today's episode, we first want to say that our hearts are going out to every single person who's been affected by these bushfires. Some people have lost absolutely everything, and we really feel for everyone involved. This fire season has already seen over 1.8 million hectares of Australia ravaged by bushfires. This is currently double the area that was burnt in the 2019 Amazon fires. 1.8 million hectares. And at the time of recording, summer hasn't even started. The Bureau of Meteorology is warning that for most of Australia, the hot and dry weather is going to continue into summer, meaning that these unprecedented fires are likely to be around for months. So we decided to record this episode, not only because it is currently a threat around Australia and likely to get worse, but also because quite literally, it's close to home for both Jill and Nikki. I want to say that it's been a big week, but for many people around Australia, it's been some really big months dealing with the fire danger. For me, I went down and visited my parents because the Mount Nardi fire has been threatening them for a number of weeks, and I went down to help prepare them. The fire danger was likely to be worse this weekend. To prepare, we'd been using the leaf blower to blow the leaves off the roof, cleaning all the way around the house. They've got a couple of sheds cleaning around the sheds. And they have been doing this for months, but it's so dry that a lot of the trees are losing their leaves quite quickly. So you have to blow down the roof and remove the leaves every single day often. So on Saturday at about lunchtime, Dad got a phone call, and straight away, everything changed. So the phone call was from one of his friends who lived nearby, and he had just gone to pick up some more stuff from his daughter's house who had been evacuated. And on the way there, he had passed the rural fire service who were coming the other way, leaving the area, and making sure everybody was out of there. They ended up being in an ember storm, And then thought for a long time that their house had burnt down. And he phoned up to say, the fire is coming your way. There is nothing that anybody can do. Because the rural fire service had been pulled back. They said the only thing that was going to protect the houses at this time was the bombers, was the water dropping planes or helicopters. And there was none available. So there was nothing anybody could do in these conditions. So we ran around preparing the house more. We had already packed all of the important things into a car. So we had all of the photos. We had all of the passports, title deeds to the house in the car. We drove that away so it would be safe. And then we came back to the house. And we continued to prepare for the fire and keep watching it. And then that evening, the wind died down and the risk was lower. 
When the risk was lower, we went for a drive because nobody tells you actually how hard it can be to know exactly where that fire is. So we use Landgate. It's a WA site. Landgate Fires can show you where the recent fire activity has been, but it's still really hard to know. So we went for a drive in the opposite direction to where the fire was up a ridge so we could see over and see the fire. And in doing so, ended up coming across another fire that somebody had deliberately lit. And we had to zoom back home, pick up my dad's um, fire fighting truck, which is just a ute with a big pump in the back and a tank of water. And we went back there to put out this fire because at this time there was only one person who had spotted it. Luckily, by the time we got there, he had been able to wake up neighbors and they'd put it out and we just had to stand around to get rid of any of the fire that started up. But even then, when the rural fire service finally got there, they told us to save our water because there were more threats coming. On Sunday was the biggest danger. We were told to enact our fire plan on Sunday and the state emergency service, the SES, they came to tell us that we had to either leave immediately or plan to stay because we may not be able to leave later. So we planned to stay. We had sprinklers going on the roof. We had moved everything away from the pool and put towels down by the pool. So if we are there protecting the house and we have hoses set up to put out any fires. But if the house does go, you need somewhere safe, as safe as possible. So the plan was then to run down to the pool. We had towels next to the pool to breathe through. We had pool toys there. And though we moved all the pool toys away, because if you've got a firestorm coming through, you don't want some hot, melted pool toy coming and sticking on your face when you're trying to breathe through a towel. It's very full on. We stayed knowing full well that we could all be in that pool trying to breathe through a towel and there could be no oxygen in the air if it's all burnt up. If it was completely up to me, I would choose to leave. But the house is the one thing that my dad can protect, the one part of his legacy. And I think without it being catastrophic fire dangers and us being required to leave, he wouldn't be able to leave. And knowing that, I just know that I wouldn't be able to drive away and leave members of my family at that fire. We got really, really lucky. It was at about 10 o'clock at night when I had tipped the wheelbarrow over one more time that I thought, I don't think I can flip this back over and do another one of these. And then it just started bucketing with rain. They are out of the woods for now, but the fire's still there. When you have high wind, that fire danger is going to be just as bad for the next weeks, for the next month, as it was on Sunday. We have heard from Rural Fire Service, we have heard from the state emergency services that there may be nothing they can do to stop that fire from reaching the town and from potentially 
going until it reaches the coast. The other thing about this is this fire is at present over 6,000 hectares, but there are other it's fires huge. burning at the mm. moment that are over 150,000 mm. hectares. Mm. You can't even imagine. No. And so difficult to contemplate when there are communities that are facing this for months on end. I think it's about 600 houses now that have been burnt in this fire season already. And as we're talking, summer hasn't started. So it is going to get worse before mm. it gets better. Mm, it's scary. I know, like I was down visiting my folks over the weekend as well, and I live in a similar area to Jill, but I'm closer to the coast. So they live in the bush. Like mm. there's, there's trees all around them. And we've had big fires there before, but the last time we had a really big fire there, we had three or four um, fire trucks join us on our property and they helped out like dad you know was up on the roof with the hose and the fire trucks Gosh. were all in the bush and like and everyone was pitching in but this time around they can't expect that level of help um and no one's able to expect that sort of help because the resources are just stretched so thin and the fire season has been going on for such a long time. It's been so much more severe than previous years. And it's so scary. It is. It's 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 scary, scary stuff. And it's it looked apocalyptic. The sun was red through the amount of smoke. Everything was just so dry, like it was just crackling to to touch. And my parents have been trying to build up a bit of a green belt as much as they can, but trying to make the decisions about when to use your water is scary because they don't know when the next time like they don't know when they'll get rain. It really puts people into incredibly difficult positions. And that's just, you know, that's just one area of, of New South Wales. We've never seen this many fires concurrently at emergency warning alert level. Right now we have out-of-control fires in all six states. Not only are the fires in Australia unprecedented, but there is a growing incidence and intensities of fires globally, which are correlated to increasing temperatures. And these are across Australia, Indonesia, the United States, Canada, across much of South America, much of Europe. Overall, it's difficult to say that one event is due to climate change. But when you're seeing trends globally where we're having increased temperatures, we're having decreased rainfall in many areas, we're having increased extreme weather events, and this is due to the increased greenhouse gases in our atmosphere, increasing the temperature, changing our climate. When you have these trends globally over time across the world, that's when you can say that these events are due to climate change, and that is happening right now. We know in Australia that the number of hot and very hot days are increasing. They have been increasing since the 1950s. Heat waves are getting hotter and longer. New South Wales had the driest January to August period ever. Across Australia this year, we had the warmest maximum temperature on record, and we continue to beat these records. We continue to set records. And that is showing you a very, very dangerous and a very obvious trend that climate change is happening now. This is what climate change looks like. We've got decreased rainfall, we've got increased temperatures, and it is driving 
this change in fire behavior. We need to do something now because it's only going to get worse. A lot of the commentary that's been coming out about the fires has um, pointed to this connection and put that there. And a lot of scientists have been saying the same thing. And a lot of fire chiefs and people whose lives and professions are about fighting fires are saying the same thing, that the reason why this fire season is so unprecedented and so dangerous is because of the effects of climate change. So in terms of the the, the connection between the, the, the season that we've seen and the climate crisis, essentially it's hotter, it's drier, and the season in which bushfires occur and are really dangerous for Australia is longer. So we spoke about in our last episode how there's been one degree of global warming since pre-industrial levels, and that's basically seen everything getting a lot hotter. So for Australia, nine of Australians top of Australia's top ten warmest years on record have occurred since 2005. And in 2019, New South Wales, where we're both from and which has had incredibly devastated fires, it's had its warmest January to August period on record. So it's been 1.85 degrees above average in the last year. It's been so much hotter and it's been a lot drier as well. So Jill mentioned before that we've been experiencing record levels of drought and since the mid-1990s, Southeast Australia has experienced a 15% decline in late autumn and early winter rainfall and a 25% decline in average rainfall in April and May. So this drying trend is coming about due to the changes in our climate. And as we know, if things are drier and if things are hotter, they burn more. Yeah, and higher temperatures increase fire risk conditions and accelerate evaporation as well. So higher temperatures accelerate that evaporation and they extend the growing season for vegetation in many regions, which also leads to greater transpiration and the process by which water is drawn from the soil and evaporates from the leaves of plants, which leads to the soil and vegetation drying out more than it would be even with the same amount of rainfall. For fires to get started, you need fuel, oxygen, and low humidity, low moisture content which makes that fuel easier to burn. Fire risk is also increased with high ambient temperatures and high winds to drive the fires forward. And that is what we have been seeing lately. We've seen this severe bushfire season that's occurring when we have high temperatures, low humidity, long-standing severe drought, and also these strong winds that are coinciding with these dry periods yeah and the science is telling us that it's not going to stop that looking forward it's it's just looking more scary the climate council's uh, bushfire briefing paper mentioned that climate scenarios for 2050 yielded um, predictions of a 20 to 84 percent increase in potential large fire ignition days um, which is just hard to wrap your head around considering what we're seeing today. Mm. And this is um, this is also on the back too. Like this particular season has been awful, and the like that same paper. So the Climate Council on the twelfth of November this year released a paper titled "This Is Not Normal," <laughs> basically very much driving the the point home. And in that report, they they said that what we've seen in the last um, in this fire season. Um, has been almost as much as what has been burned in New South Wales in the previous three fire seasons combined. And at that point, they were reporting that on the 12th of November. And since then, there's been almost another half a million hectares of 
um, yeah. yeah, burnt. And we're recording this on the 23rd yeah. of November, so, so there might be more. There might be more by that stage. And if the current trend continues, there absolutely will be more. Yeah. During the bushfires, there has also been a lot of dialogue about prescribed or controlled burning. This occurs when controlled burns are carried out during cooler and more moist conditions to reduce the fuel loads that exist in an environment. Reducing the fuel loads can reduce the intensity of an out-of-control fire in the future because they do not have as much fuel to burn. This always comes up during bad fire seasons because it is easier to blame conservationists or someone from not managing the land than it is to recognize the impact that climate change is having on our environment. Controlled burns are not as simple as lighting a fire at a cooler time of the year and watching it burn. There is significant time taken to prepare for and manage control burns because they can get out of control. And, of course, any out-of-control fire is very serious. In the past 10 years, multiple controlled burns have escaped containment lines, and those controlled burns... Getting out of control has resulted in the loss of houses in Western Australia in 2013 and Victoria in 2015. Now, controlled burns can only be carried out when it's safe. And the rural fire service are telling us that this safe window is getting smaller and smaller as our climate gets warmer and drier. The climate needs to be cool and it needs to be moist so those bushfires won't get out of control. You also can't light a controlled burn when the wind is too high. There's also research to show that during extreme fire danger, the living vegetation is so dry that there is still plenty of fuel for fires, even with controlled burning. Even so, hazard reduction is really important, and we're always working on reducing the hazards, reducing the vegetation around my parents' property, as I mentioned. This is a process that occurs all year long, every year. New South Wales Rural Fire Service Deputy Commissioner Rob Rogers said, while hazard reductions continue every year, hazard reduction on its own is not enough to prevent bushfires. In New South Wales, between 2018 and 2019, hazard reduction was carried out on 139 hectares. So this includes controlled burns, cutting fire breaks, which are cleared breaks in the vegetation used to prevent the spread of fire, as well as removing trees and vegetation. Clearing within 50 metres of a house, making fire breaks up to 10 metres in width, and reducing fuel load can generally be completed on all rural properties without approval. However, legislation does vary state to state, so check it out for your particular area. I'd also like to add that while controlled burning is important, it's not appropriate for all environments. Controlled burning uses the same principle as traditional fire practices used by Aboriginal Australians. And traditional fire practices were used to reduce fuel loads, but also to change the structure of the bush from your more closed forests to open grasslands. Now, this is very useful and attracts animals such as kangaroos and wallabies. So this regular burning changes the environment, which is great if you want open forest. However, some of the area burning today is UNESCO Heritage-listed Gondwana Rainforest of Australia. This rainforest has been around for a hundred million years. My parents are lucky that much of the area where they live is this ancient rainforest, and they're lucky because it's generally wet 
and it burns slower and cooler than your typical eucalypt forest. This means that the fire danger is lower and they are safer. If the rainforest burns regularly, however, it will not survive. It will change to eucalypt forest, which burns more readily, and that will make fire danger worse. As well as that, the Gondwana rainforest of Australia is home to more than 50% of Australia's plant families and 30% of Australia's mammal, mammals and birds, many of which we will lose if the forest changes from these spectacular rainforests to your eucalypt forests. With the last of the embers finally dying out, scientists are gaining their first glimpse of a rare event, a fire-ravaged rainforest. I also think it's important to note that while bushfire conditions are expected to worsen into the future due to climate change, there will still be some years that are worse than others due to natural cycles in our climate. These natural cycles that affect our climate, uh, one of the major drivers is the El Nino Southern Oscillation, or ENSO. Now, ENSO is a periodic shift in the trade winds, which drive changes in rainfall and changes in sea surface temperatures. You've probably heard about the main cycles of ENSO. You have the El Nino, then you've got neutral and La Nina. So during an El Nino year in Australia, it's generally drier, warmer and drier. During the neutral phase, you have more regular weather. That doesn't mean you're not going to get fires and floods, but you've got more typical weather. And then La Nina is typically cooler and wetter. We currently are not in an El Nino phase. We are in neutral right now, which means that if there was El Nino on top of the conditions we're already experiencing, our drought could be further exacerbated. Because we're in a neutral phase at the moment, there are some other cycles that govern our climate. Both the Indian Ocean Dipole and the Southern Annular Mode are also climate drivers driven by the patterns of the wind and sea surface temperatures. So the Indian Ocean Dipole, when it is in a positive phase, as it is right now, it brings drier weather, which is why the Bureau of Meteorology have predicted that the fire season will continue. The southern annular mode is currently in a negative phase, so that drives westerly winds across Australia, bringing typically drier winds, especially to the east coast of Australia. So that is why the Bureau of Meteorology have predicted the drier summer, but that's also why, even with climate change, some years will be better than others in terms of our fire danger. So with the 2019 Australian bushfires, we've seen so many devastating impacts, both the human and the environmental. We've seen the decimation, really, of our Australian wildlife. There were reports from wildlife rescuers this week that they estimate over a 1,000 koalas to have been killed by the fires, which is quite alarming. But also the impacts uh, are being seen far from home. This week we saw reports that the smoke from the fires have been landing on glaciers off New Zealand. The carbon and the ash has dark colour, which is covering the ice and which is causing the glaciers to absorb more heat from the sun, which will cause them to melt faster. 
And we're also seeing impacts on human health and respiratory issues, even in Brisbane here. So in Brisbane, we had a day last week where the air quality was worse than it was in Beijing. They're reporting similar stats for Sydney as well yeah, because there's been um, such severe amounts of smoke and it's causing respiratory issues and a whole host of health problems. Yeah, I've got the stats in front oh, of me excellent. for Sydney and it's very alarming. So we have um, a measure which is fine particle matters mm. um, and it's measured and known globally as PM 2.5 and they're invisible to the human eye and they're coated in chemicals such as lead and are most worrying because they penetrate deep into the lungs. So Australia's air standards for this PM 2.5 level is 8 micrograms per cubic metre. Okay. So keep that in your head. Okay. So <laughs> Sure. Um, on Tuesday, last Tuesday in Sydney's northwest, the PM 2.5 reading was well over 8. It was 734 micrograms. So that's equivalent of smoking 37 cigarettes on last Tuesday just by walking outside your front door. Oh my goodness. That's in Sydney. So Yeah, and there's a lot of people in Sydney and that's a lot of that's a lot of lungs that are breathing that in. Yep. Yeah. Mm, that Man. was very alarming. It is. It's incredibly alarming. And it's so yeah, there's I mean there's the impacts in terms of biodiversity loss yes. and there's yep. the impacts in terms of um Flora and fauna. Yeah, flora and fauna. And there's the impacts in terms of um, like the actual bush cover and properties and everything in the path. But then there's also the the incredibly human cost. Like there's literal loss of life. So far this year, there's been six reported deaths. Six reported deaths Mm. due to the bushfires. And there's also all of these other health, health risks that are coming from it. This fire season has been a very scary reminder that we cannot afford to think that we'll be able to cope with the effects of climate change. We can't afford to say we'll deal with it as it comes because it's here and we're not coping. Our firefighters have been incredible um, and the amount of community outreach and donations and support has just been inspiring. But ultimately, we're just not equipped to deal with the conditions that they're facing. It's it's insane. Yeah. And even and globally, we're not equipped. We were um, we saw that the Australia and the USA actually share um water bombers is yeah, that's the yeah. term um so they share water bombers and this year due to the overlapping seasons in the california fires and what we're seeing in australia the resources are stretched even thinner yeah. it's a scary issue of you know the global issue that we're facing and to add to that as well a lot of the firefighters that are absolutely incredible are volunteers yeah. And our fire seasons are getting longer and longer and more dangerous. We must develop an urgent plan to decide how this is going to work into the future because we cannot rely on these people who are putting their lives at risk and who are possibly receiving no income for a significant amount of time Mm. to look after us. Yeah, that's it. We're so reliant on them. And this year there's been... 23 former fire and emergency services chief, chiefs from across the country have jointly warned that the climate crisis is making bushfires deadlier 
and the season longer and that we need to do something to address the actual cause of this. We can't afford to keep reacting to it. So Greg Mullins, who's the, a climate councillor and also the member for the emergency leaders for climate action, he's the former New South Wales Fire and Rescue Commissioner, and he's come out and said, we need urgent emissions reductions and we need a coordinated national effort on coping with worsening extreme weather disasters. So we need both. We need to both like, change the way that we are reacting to things to be able to deal with it, but ultimately we need to be able to be addressing our emissions. So this has all occurred in the context of our Australian emissions rising on a year-on-year basis for the last five years. And we're not on track to meet our Paris Agreement targets at all. And in that context, it's difficult to say that, you know, we can't afford to talk about the causes of climate change while we're in a crisis because this is the time when people are listening because this is the time where it's most real for everyone. We haven't just started talking about climate change. We've been talking about climate change for years and years and years. It's just when these disasters and emergencies strike, that is when people start to listen. So in terms of um, what we can do about it and a bit of a call to action, I mean, Absolutely. If you're in the position to donate and help out. So there has been a number of funds which have been established to support those affected by bushfires, including the Australian Red Cross Disaster Recovery and Relief Appeal, the Salvation Army Disaster Appeal and the St Vincent de Paul Society Bushfire Appeal in New South Wales. And there's also other resources um, or other links to pages on both the Queensland and the New South Wales Rural Fire Service homepages. So get involved and donate if you can. But Try not to forget about the reasons why um, this is happening. Um, this issue of the climate crisis is so much bigger and it really requires us all to do something about it. We're former commissioners, chief officers of every urban and rural fire service in Australia, some SES, state emergency service um, agencies and forestry and national parks firefighting units. So right across the board of firefighting, experts who have hundreds and hundreds of years of cumulative experience and all of us have seen conditions change over the years, supercharging the bushfire problem and it's all down to climate change, the burning of oil, coal and gas. That was former New South Wales Fire Commissioner Greg Mullins bringing it home for us and thank you to all of the firefighters working around Australia to keep us all safe. We appreciate everything you do. Thanks for listening to this episode of Getting Hot in Here. It has been a rather personal episode at times, and we just need to say that the opinions that we have expressed here are our own and not in any way affiliated with our workplaces. For links to further information, including where you can donate to support rural fire services or get involved in other ways, check out our show notes or pop onto our website, which is gettinghotinhere.com. You can also join us on our Instagram at gettinghotinherepodcast. Also, when we were putting this episode together, I got to ask Nick and Jill some questions about the personal side of the fires. We'll package that into a bonus episode and release it to you all this Friday. But then we'll be back again next Wednesday with our regular episode. Stay safe out there.